Joshua. Over these past um, three weeks now, this week, four weeks, we've been considering this book of Joshua, which is a book about consecration. It's a book about being set apart, distinctive, holy. All these words that we find in the Bible, set apart to God as a unique and particular people. I say particular, the Bible calls us a peculiar people, doesn't it? Uh, the Bible never minces its words. But uh, it was set apart and particular to God. It should show itself in how we conduct ourselves, in how we act, the choices that we make, the investments that we make in, in the character of Christ that's growing in us. It's a book of consecration. It's a book of conquest as well. You see, those people who set themselves apart to the purposes of God will surely do great exploits in the ways of God. And people who understand what it is to be in devoted covenant relationship with God. Did you know that God invites you into a relationship with him? Did you know that this morning? Come on, this is not just some uh, nice propositions. This is not words on a page. This is not things that we sing when the music gets us excited. This is the truth of being invited into relationship with the living God. This is what God invites us into. And we grab a hold of what it is to be in relationship with God. Then we grab a hold of what we can do with God. In his power, for his glory. You know, you're people of great exploits, if only you would know it. Yeah? It's going to take a while to convince you this morning, isn't it? Come on, come on. Consecration and conquest. And we saw at the beginning how... Moses, uh, probably the greatest leader in the Bible until uh, the time of Jesus, or at the very least John the Baptist, but uh, the greatest, um, certainly the, the greatest leader of people um, in the Bible, he's passed away. And people are a little worried. They're like, well, does the promise pass away with Moses? Does even the presence of the living God pass away with Moses? But no, God says, truthfully, you don't need Moses so much as you need Moses as God. You don't need Moses' presence so much as you need the presence of God. There's real comfort for us in that, but not just comfort. There's, there's real energy and, and possibility for us in that. And, and so we, we shape our lives around these truths. And then we start to see how God is doing a new thing through his presence and his promises. That actually it breaks down traditional boundaries and, and the tribalisms of the Old Testament. That actually anybody and everybody who places their faith in Jesus Christ. Has anybody ever done that? Have you placed your faith in Jesus? Oh, come on, I'm going to get you excited about it eventually. Have you placed your faith in Jesus? It's good. Um, anybody who does that who says, I believe. Even if we need to say a little bit of help, my unbelief. <laughs> then I believe. Then we are welcomed into the family of God. And then we saw last week something of, of the battle that comes. Because the Christian life is not just about breakthrough and blessing, but it's about battle. Yeah, anybody experienced any of that? Thought I might get the most rousing amen for that, I don't know. But, uh, we, there's battles along the way. But when we understand the nature of those battles and we understand the victory that is in Christ Jesus, then we can know his fruitfulness. This morning as we draw to a close, we're drawing to a close in our studies. But actually, what you find with the book of Joshua is even as the story in this particular book of the Bible comes to a close, it really is prompting us to keep on keeping on. It's prompting us to stay on that leading edge. Not to think everything's done and dusted and we can just all pack up and go home. 
but to realize that actually God invites us to continue with him, to go forward with him, to experience new things with him. Anyone want to experience new things with God? Okay, there's a good prayer too. And, and, and what we see as the book draws to a close is that we're invited to lean forward into what's next. But sometimes it's hard to keep on keeping on, isn't it? Does anybody sometimes find it hard? You know, you just feel a bit weary sometimes. You're like, I need a holiday. I had a weekend off last weekend. I could do with another one. Truth is, it's the way of it, isn't it, sometimes? Sometimes it's hard to keep on keeping on. And and circumstances or the way that we feel or, or things in our body or our homes or our workplaces or our colleges or wherever we might be, they'll press in on us. And it's sometimes hard to keep on keeping on. I saw somebody post um, some wisdom from Rick Warren. Uh, He's full of wisdom, isn't he? And uh, they posted this on Facebook, and I thought there's something in it. He said, life is a series of problems. You came to church to be encouraged this morning, didn't you? Uh, Life is a series of problems, he said. Either you're in one now, you're coming out of one, or you're getting ready to go into another one. (laughs) But here's 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 the real wisdom. The reason for this is that God is more interested in your character than in your comfort. God is invested in you and me. And he invites us to lean forward into what's next. Caleb is our example today. Now, as far as we can tell, he's not a man that you would say was particularly out of the ordinary. You know, there's not a huge amount that's in the Bible about him. Something extraordinary happens in his experience. But as far as we can tell, he's just, in the lists of the names of the Bible, of which there are many, he's one of those who's the son of the son of the son of the son of. And there are so many of those names in the Bible. And Simeon manfully wrestled with all of those uh, funny little names that I got him to give. But, you know, you you don't really know who his dad was. You don't really know, do you? Or his granddad or, or where he came from. Because he's just one of those lists of names. He just seems to be one of the many. There's no particular description of his nobility or that he had particular kind of attributes physically that kind of made him stand out among others. But it seems in his journey, as we'll see this morning, that he was somebody who was always journeying into God and journeying upward with God. And that the trajectory of his life, no doubt from his early years being schooled in the faith, meant that his destination was pretty lofty. He was on the up and up. On the up and up and up. Consider, just for a moment, how many totally non-famous people have made this church what it is today. Think on them, would you? And maybe they're the people who invited you to come along once upon a time, or the people who first shared the faith of Jesus Christ with you. They're not famous. They've never been in the paper, and they never will be. Think on those people. And so many churches like ours, how many Sunday school teachers, and how many elders of the church, how many ushers, as we used to call them, and deacons, there's some good old Bible words. No, they're not Bible words. They are kind of Bible words. But these, these, these kinds of things that we used to, to think of, you know, I, you know, I'm not going to name names this morning because I'd, I'd inevitably forget people, but certain kind of faces, they hove into view in my mind's eye as I was thinking on these things. I'm thinking upon 
people who, and here's good old title, Sunday school superintendents for not just one year or five years, but for decades. And people moving into eldership in the church and, and serving the church and not thinking that they were done after, after 10 years or 20, but 40 or 50 years or 60 years of service. People who I know have shaken my hand week in and week out at the door of this church. And not just for a month or a couple of months, but for years. Years. And, and they never get bored of my face. Well, they might do, but they never let on. That they, that they, faithful people, faithful people driving minibuses full of screaming kids, doing it week in uh, and week out, faithful people serving food here or coffees there or all the things that make up a church and not famous, but rooted in Christ, journeying up and up on that trajectory of faith, just like Caleb. People who journey towards God, who don't just say they have faith in him, but allow that faith to be transported into action all the way along. I have a fiver here. Now you're paying attention. Um, got a fiver here. And, and I want to give it away. Do you, do you believe me? Do you th- just, how, would you, how would you put your faith into action? Does anybody believe me that I want to give this fiver away? Who wants, how would you put your faith into action? You're all talking about it. Is anybody, how, how would you put your faith into action? You can't, easy brave, easy brave. Keep it, it's fine, it's yours. Um, I meant it. Um, Did you see that little picture of discipleship there, though? Anna Sue put her faith into action, and immediately Brave was inspired. It was like, yeah, I will follow in her way. Long may it continue, Brave. Um, <laughs> loud amen from Anna Sue. <laughs> oh, thanks, mate. Clearing up your wreckage. I appreciate it. Um, it's all well and good for you all to look at me. And even some of you, you said to me, how would you put your faith into action? Well, we would come up and take it. But you didn't. You didn't come up and take it. It took some poor student uh, to come and <laughs> leg it out of there. Uh... <laughs> I remember those days. I do. I remember those days. You've got to put legs on your faith, haven't you? You've got to let the tire hit the road. Caleb was such a man of faith and a man of action. Simple. God, let it be said of us that we're simple. Oh, please. Far too complicated sometimes. Simple. Obedient. Believing in the word of God and the God who spoke it. Just as James, the brother of Jesus, in our New Testament made it clear, belief is not a matter of faith alone but of faith and works, of putting those legs on our statements of belief, getting those tires to hit the road and see where God will take us. You know, it's not enough to be encouraged again in our faith this Sunday as we gather together around the Word of God and in worship. We must learn how to live our faith come Monday, mustn't we? And you know that's much harder, don't you? 
You know, the hard part of preaching, I often say to you, is not so much what I share, although I invest in it diligently. The hard part is your part. It's saying to the Spirit of God, how will I apply your word in my workplace and with my family and wherever I go? Those of us who are perhaps out in our scattered communities this morning, they're applying the word of God. They're putting legs on their faith this morning. And those of you who've been doing so over this week and this weekend, God bless you for doing so. Because we're saying it's not enough just to be encouraged in our faith. We must live out our faith. When we first come across Caleb in God's story, you know, he has told us here in, uh, in chapter 14, He says, I was 40 when it all started. I've told you, I'm in my 40th year. So if God wants to start something new, then bring it on. Uh, Please, Lord Jesus. 40 is the new 30, right? Um, Or 20, I don't know what it is. But um, whatever God wants, um, let's have some more of it. Uh, That would be my prayer. Um, But the story starts for Caleb at 40. And that might seem like quite a long kind of apprenticeship or quite a long time in limbo before he hoves into a view as a character. But like we've said already, I don't get the impression that he's just been treading water or twiddling his thumbs. This seems to me that this is a person who's paying attention. This is a person who's taking responsibility. This is a person who Moses knows is trustworthy and can get a job done. This is a person who finds himself close to the action. So in the Bible, we see in the book of Numbers, when Moses is looking for those spies to send to to spy out the land that God has promised, Caleb is there. He's present. He's not hiding at the back. This is somebody whose trajectory is already Godward. It's already upward. It's somebody who, though nobody knew him until he was 40, and not that many people knew him afterwards, he said, I will do what is right and what is righteous and what is required so that I might be close to God and close to the things of God. 40 years old, something new, something new. What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? What are you longing for? Well, start doing the right things and then maybe God will pick you. It's tasked to spy out the land. 40 years old. I was joking with somebody the other day that, you know, as you know, I've got two and a half year old and a, a half year old. Can you say a half year old? I don't maybe, yeah. Eight months she is. And occasionally it occurs to me that, uh, you know, I had a lot more energy when I was 30. I really did. <laughs> and here I am turning 40. And, do you know, it won't be long before they can totally run rings about me. Don't let them know that. Don't let them know. Don't let them in on the secret. Um, I sometimes sometimes think I had a lot more energy a little while ago. Some of you are smiling at me like, really? I did. God just brought things together as he brought things together. And you know, he certainly, he may not have increased my energy, but he may well have increased my appreciation for what is precious in life. God kind of weaves things together for just the right times, doesn't he? Doesn't God bring things together just as he sees fit? Don't you get frustrated with God. It's all right. 40. And he gets going. He's excited about it as well. Oh, yeah, he's excited about it. And I think, I think a little bit about this as I move into my uh, 41st year. Does that make me middle aged? No was the right answer there. Um, 
you've, you've blown it now. Um, but as I move into what might be my kind of second aspect of my youth, shall we say, uh, amen. And um, as I move into this season, I, I see folks of, of my vintage and, and maybe just a little bit, a little bit hence. And uh, do you know what strikes me? If I can be quite plain, it can often be a season of treading water. It can often be a season of stepping back. It can often be a season, and certainly it seems the way in Christian life and in church life, that people say, oh, do you know, I've done my bit. Maybe I'll, you know, I'll just, I'll move on with, with my career or with other responsibilities or you know, maybe there's new seasons of family life or, or maybe some of you are much smarter than me and you've sent your kids off to uni by now and, and maybe you're like, oh, now's a bit of me time. Oh, God spare us from me time. And Caleb, he's 40 years old. He's invested in this life with God and with God's people all these years and he doesn't say, oh, now I'm moving into a bit of me time. Now I'll let the youngins take a go. No, he says, Moses, you want me to go and spy the land? Oh, I'm your man. I've been waiting for this. Oh, and I'm ready for this. I don't know whether you know the story very well, but on that first instance when they came to the land of promise, those 12 spies, they went into the land, and Erin uh, knows a really good song with actions about this. So if you want to ever ask her to do a song with actions, and you really should, um, then, then get her when she's back, and uh, she'll, oh, she'll be so happy to do it. Um, so uh, I can say anything when she's not here um, when those 12 spies first went into the land they all saw the same possibility they all saw a land flowing with milk and honey that's how the Bible describes it you know enormous fruits and fertile earth and, and, and water aplenty and this is just going to be beautiful but 10 of them also saw an obstacle that they did not believe God was bigger than. And only two saw an obstacle that they believed God was far bigger than. And so the Bible teaches us that they all came back and brought the report. And, and ten of them caused, how did Caleb describe it in our reading? reading? He said, they caused the hearts of the people to melt. My goodness, did they give a bad report. They must have painted quite a picture. That hearts literally melted, strength fell away, eyes downcast, minds clouded, a, a, a gap even appearing between the people of God and their God because these ten people came back and brought such a negative report. And yet Joshua and Caleb said, we can do this. Not only that, God can do this. See, 40 years old, he says, I'll give it a go. It was the beginning of a bit of a, a tough time. Has anybody said they'll ever give it a go for God and then found that they moved straight into a really tough time in life? Has that any, ever happened to anybody? Has that always happened to everybody? That's probably a better way of phrasing it, isn't it? It's often the case, isn't it? That when we resolve to be sincere and serious about the things of God, that actually we find there's some pushback. There's some difficulty. There is something of the spiritual battle that no doubt we were talking about last Week, And the Bible teaches me that jo uh, Caleb and, and Joshua as well, these 40-somethings saying we could do it, 
found themselves in a tough time because so many of the people of God said, nah, I'm not up for that. All of their other middle-aged spying brethren said, now's the time to put our feet up, isn't it? Or maybe just retreat a little bit. Let's just take a time out. We need to step back. We've done our bit. We got this far. And you know, not only that, but actually they said, they said, not only can we not go in, but we need to go back. Actually, they said, we need to go back to the land of slavery. And so they wanted somebody to, to find them a leader to take them back. Does anybody know in truth, you don't need anyone to lead you backwards. It just comes natural, doesn't it? You think about it. It doesn't take anybody to, to cause the behavior of children to deteriorate. <laughs> Leadership is all that's needed for forwards, for upwards, for onwards. It takes nothing to drift back. It takes nothing to step back. There's no resource required, no leadership, no input of God. The task wasn't easy. The Bible teaches us actually in Numbers chapter 14. You can perhaps read it for yourselves that... Uh, that when the people rebelled against the promise of God saying, we can't do this, Joshua and Caleb were desperate. The Bible says in Numbers 14, they tore their clothes, verse 6, and said to the congregation, it's exceedingly good. If God delights in us, if the Lord delights in us, verse 8, he will bring us into the land and give it to us. Verse 9, only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land. Verse 10, then all the congregation said to stone them with stones. Oh my goodness, this has gone really bad. Caleb's devotion to the things of God almost cost them their lives. And it was only as God stepped into that situation that their lives were preserved. It was hard, but he persevered. And the Bible teaches us that these people wandering back, wandered in the wilderness. They all passed away. Have you thought about that? They threatened to kill Joshua and Caleb with stones. Joshua and Caleb had to live with these people for the next 40 years. That's not comfortable, is it? If somebody threatened to stone you, I think you'd be done with them instantly, wouldn't you? What kind of devotion do Joshua and Caleb have to the people of God and the purposes of God that even though they've threatened to murder them, they say, oh, we'll stick with it. Wow. That's some devotion. That's some stickability. Wandering in the desert. Those middle years. And yet Caleb stays devoted. You know, we all love moments of Christian inspiration, the exciting times of God's presence in worship, or a word that speaks powerfully to us. But how about the middle years? Those, things, those times when things seem to go bad or wrong. How will you keep going? Will you keep going? Will you keep on keeping on? Will you still lean forward into the possibility of what God has promised? You know, none of us, are immune from turning sour, are we? Just listening to something this, this week. I, have you ever heard of a man named A.W. Tozer? 
Oh, this is a powerful prophetic voice in the 20th century church. But I didn't realize, but apparently in his latter years, he turned quite sour and disenchanted with the church. I don't say that to sully his memory, far from it. But, but to say, none of us are immune. Just this past week or so, a report has come out on the case of Bill Hybels, who many of you may know from the States, and how his life went so very wrong and all of the fallout from that. And I don't say that to, to sully the gentleman. You know, he's in that middle period. There's still plenty of time for God's grace to be shown in that situation, thank God. But there's not a one of us that's immune, not me, not you, not any of us. Any one of us, circumstances could turn us sour, could turn us away from God, could turn us away from the things of God, even toward wickedness. How will we keep on edge, leaning forward into God? I want to ask us this morning, are we increasing in our service to God, to his people, to the mission? Do we, do we allow ourselves to say, oh, we'll leave it to the young ones now. They've got full of energy. Or do we go the other way and say, maybe we'll leave it to people who've retired. They've got free time. Uh, retired people don't have any free time at all. They become like the grandparent babysitting services, I think, don't they? And stuff like this. It's, uh... Come on. There's not a one of us that can say, I've done my bit, I'll step back. Not a one of us. Not in any season of life. We're all needed. As we grow in maturity, do we think we've done our bit? Just when we've got so much more to give. When your kids finish uni and maybe a little bit of income is given back to you. Or maybe that happens a little while after, I don't know. <laughs> Come on, in all seriousness, should we gain some extra disposable income in life? Do we think, oh, how will I increase my tithing to the church? Or do we think, how will I spoil myself? Is that hard? Can I say that? I think I can. If we have more time on our hands in a season of life, do we resolve to invest in new opportunities to serve the people of God and his mission? Or do we find ourselves all the more on Facebook? Are we tending the land of promise, taken through so much blood, sweat and tears? Or for want of an easy life, are we trudging through the dust of spiritual desert times, chomping the manner of our disgruntlement? You see, this is a, this is a real uh, point to be made. This is, this is a live circumstance. You get to the end of the book and you read chapters 22, 23, 24, and hear the heart of Joshua, how over and over again he challenges the people to stay leaning forward. To keep on keeping on because the natural temptation, and it doesn't need a leader, is to fall back. It's to say, I've done my bit. It's to step back and to say, enough is enough is enough. And Joshua challenges the people. He says, come on, choose now who you will serve. He says again, this is so important. He says, he says you must take care to love the Lord your God. You know, most of us, we think that love is just something that kind of happens within us and it just kind of blossoms and flourishes out. Uh, you know, if you, it's not true, is it? You nurture love. You take care to love. And if you don't take care to love, then the spark that started, it probably wasn't worth much in the first place. Joshua says, take care to love. God, don't step back. The Bible teaches us right at the end of this book that as long as Joshua was alive 
and all the elders of the people to whom he had entrusted this message. Then the people stayed with God. You've got to keep on keeping on. I don't know whether you know what the next book of the Bible is. Book of Judges. Because the people stopped keeping on, keeping on. Everybody did what was right in their own eyes. They stepped back and back and back. They said, oh, we've done our bit. You see the decay that came. Caleb, he says, I'll take the land. I'll keep on, keeping on, keeping on. Forty years I started this. And oh my goodness, there have been some disappointments along the way. People picked up stones and said they would take my life. My goodness, there have been some disappointments. I've spent my time in the desert, Caleb says. But here we come again. And this is where the story gets really exciting. Because he, he gives us the timeline and he says, we're 45 years later. I can do that kind of maths. This is an 85-year-old man. And he's come, and you can imagine the scene, can't you? They've, you know, he's right up there with the warriors, right at the front of the battle, and they're taking the land bit by bit, and they've had Jericho, and they've had Ai the bad, and Ai the good, and Kadesh Barnea, and all these kinds of places along the way. And, and he, he comes along, and here they are. And do you know how, how I imagine it? I imagine these 85-year-old eyes, they suddenly see something that 40-year-old eyes had seen when they were spying out the land. He sees this hair this mount soon to be called Hebron he says oh I remember that I remember that I remember the promise that God made to me through his servant Moses that that is mine it's mine and his 85 year old eyes see what his 40 year old eyes saw and he sees it undimmed and his 85-year-old body gets as excited as his 40-year-old body once was as it tramped those self-same pathways. And everything within him stirs up. And he says, now, 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 now is the time. This is what I've been leaning forward for all these years. Uh, looking over my shoulder in case they've been picking up the stones again. This is what I've been leaning forward for. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have this. Come what may, I will take what is mine in God. Does anybody want to say amen about this? Yeah. Come on, come on. This is what we lean forward for. This is what we stay on edge for. And do you know what? Not every person of God does this. Not every person of God does this. We don't have the time perhaps to, to list all the instances, but you can look at them for yourself. Joshua 13 verse 13. Let me read to you Joshua 15, verse 63. But the Jebusites, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the people of Judah, could not drive out. So the Jebusites dwell with the people of Judah at Jerusalem to this day. They didn't lean in. They didn't keep on keeping on. Can we take some more examples? Verse Chapter 16 and verse 10. However, they did not drive out the Canaanites who live in Gaza. So the Canaanites who have lived in the midst of Ephraim to this day, but have been made to do forced labor. They did not keep on keeping on. You can look at it in chapter 17 as well, verses 12 to 13. Over and over and over again, the people of God, they didn't lean forward into the fullness of what God had promised. But Caleb sees this all happening around him, and he says, not so with the promise that God has given 
to me. He leans in. He leans in. And Caleb is not just a matter of words. His words are fiery, aren't they? Don't they excite you? And he says, you know, I've still got the strength I had. I don't think he's lying. I don't think this is just like bluster. I don't think, you know, he's just, you know, I know I don't have the energy that I had when I was 30 years old. And it's it's proved to me on a regular basis by my kids. But uh, I couldn't bluster my way to pretend. But here he is, 85 years old. I don't think he's blustering. I think there's something really particular that's happening in the experience of Caleb that is enabling him not just to be words, but action. You see, if you were to read on into chapter 15, you would find that he goes and he and his men, they defeat the three sons of Anak. These, were the, these are giants. These are the ones that they saw way back when. And many people said, we'll never do them over. We couldn't possibly. But they did. They took the land. How is it that they were able to do that? Well, just briefly as we draw to a close. In chapter 14 and verse 10, we see something really significant. In verse 10, Caleb is here speaking. And he says, and now behold. He says behold because he really wants you to pay attention. He says, and now behold. The Lord has kept me alive. Just as he said, These 45 years since the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel walked in the wilderness. And now the Lord has kept me alive. Now he knew that miraculously on the day that they all grabbed stones because it was only God who stopped them from killing him. But he's known that 45 years since. God has preserved him. Simeon mentioned some of this earlier as we were coming to share in our offerings. You know, we come into this world with nothing and we'll leave with nothing. And it is only God that will preserve us. It's only God's providence that keeps us and blesses us along the way. Don't fall into the trap of thinking that your life is something that you have made with your own two hands. It's a trap. To think that you're a self-made man or a self-made woman. This is not to diminish the work that maybe you put in or the the intelligence that you drive into things. But it's to recognize that it all comes from God. And as we sang this morning, he puts breath in our lungs so that we can pour out praise. Everything comes from God and everything goes to God. Caleb knew this. He knew that God had preserved him. Do you know it gave him such confidence? He said, if God preserved me back then, And if God's preserved me till today, then if I go after his promise, I trust that he will preserve me till tomorrow. 45 years, may I say 85 years, or at least 80 from the first time that he could probably understand what his mum and dad were going on about. All these years, he'd believed in God's preservation and God's providence. And so it was not a stretch for him to say, God will preserve me one more day. Or one more year. Or one more season of life. You know, if you think that your life is just random chance and what you can put it together to be, then you will have no confidence into the next season with God. You will not. Your faith is insubstantial. You're walking on mist. But if you trust that everything you are is the gracious gift of God, 
and that he has kept you to this day, then you can believe for tomorrow. You can believe for tomorrow. And Caleb did. God has preserved me. And God has promised. Verse 12. So now give me this hill country. I like it in the old versions. Give me my mountain. It sounds even more dramatic, doesn't it? Give me my mountain. You know, it's all very uh, Hollywood, isn't it? Give it to me. Of which the Lord spoke on that day. It's not, it's not I like this country because it's good country. Truth is, you know, if we wanted just something easy, hill country, not the easiest. Go for something flat, Caleb, much easier. But no, no, no. This is what the Lord spoke of. This is why it's beautiful to me. For you heard on that day how the Anakim were there with great fortified cities. It may be that the Lord will be with me. It's humility there. It's not lack of faith. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall dry them out, drive them out just as the Lord said. He knows God has preserved him and he knows that God has made a promise. Are you thankful to God for keeping you? Are you? Come on. Do you wake each morning glad that God has preserved you? Do you? Come on, it's not a given. It's not a given. You know, you can practice vegan January as long as you want. But your life doesn't exist just because you take care of yourself, though you should. It's the providence of God. You know, you can go to the gym five, six, seven, twenty-five times a week. It's the providence of God. You can build up the biggest bank balance the world has ever known. It'll make no difference. It's the providence of God. You can get your house looking just so. Make no difference. It's the providence of God. You can attract to yourself such and such a husband or a wife, have the kids, da da da, the holidays, the experiences, whatever it may be. It is the providence of God. But oh, his promises are good for you. Oh, his promises are good for you. Thank you. As we come to worship God, before we draw to a close, and the cafe at the back will be open for teas and coffees, and make sure you come and take one of these beautiful books away from me. Yeah. Beautiful, aren't they? Very nice. Okay. As we come recognizing the providence of God and the promise of our future and we come rightly to worship him there's a challenge there's an obvious challenge in the word of God isn't there how do we keep on keeping on yes providence of God and the promise of the future we have to be rooted in him have you heard of a lady named Lucy Walker have you heard of her I only heard of her this um International Women's Day that's just been. It's a good thing, isn't it? I love International Women's Day. You hear these great stories. Fantastic. Lucy Walker. Will you excuse me just... She was, uh, she was raised in Liverpool. She must be good. Um, she was born in Canada, so she must be double good. Um, 1871 was the year. And... Um, she liked to climb. So even though she was good, she was clearly a bit crazy uh, in a good way. 
She liked to climb and she climbed a lot of things, but in those days, um, attitudes were somewhat sexist, shall we say, towards women in climbing. And so she wasn't allowed to climb with the gentlemen. They wouldn't let her in their clubs. And uh, more than that, um, they they said, if you're going to climb, if you must, then you have to climb still wearing a skirt. We don't want any lack of decorum. Uh, Crazy. 1871, she became the first woman to climb the Matterhorn in Switzerland. And I don't know whether you've ever seen a picture of it. It's like, it's one of those mountains that looks like a mountain. It just goes up really pointy at the top. And it was incredibly hard. And it's only been a couple of years since anybody had ever climbed it. Before that, they thought nobody could. This lady, she climbed up in her petticoats and skirts. I think she was somewhat more tough than the blokes. (laughs) Absolutely fantastic. Um, It got me thinking about mountains a bit. In the news recently, they've been talking about Scarfell Pike up in the lakes and that they need to put a signpost at the top because people keep on going the wrong way off. I think either you go down the path or you fall off. I don't know. That's the wrong way. So they need to put a signpost apparently. A gentleman, um, a preacher, S.D. Gordon, he to- first told the story of, of um, those climbing Mont Blanc in the Alps where this wonderful lady Lucy Walker once upon a time was. And there was a mountain leader taking a group, he took groups up to the top and back in those early heydays of alpine climbing. And he told them, I've done this many times before, and if you want to come with me, here's the rules, you bring nothing but your warm clothes, your sturdy boots, your pickaxe, and your ropes. Just that. That's what it's going to take to take your mountain. That's what it's going to take. No nonsense. And the story goes that on one occasion he's putting together a group of people who want to go up Mont Blanc. And there comes along this crazy Englishman. They're always English, aren't they, the crazy people? Have you ever noticed this in these stories? Um, those of you from other parts of the world are like, yes, but I'm not going to say so in front of you, Greg. Um, but there they are. And, and they're this group. And this, and this crazy Englishman comes along. And, um, and he says, he says I, I hear what you're saying. I hear your experience, but I'm going to bring my camera equipment. And in those days, it was, you know, all sorts. He said, and I'm going to bring some blankets and chairs because I like to take a stop every once in a while and look around me. And I know you said that we can bring a bit of water, but actually I'm going to bring some champagne because I want to toast my arrival at the top. Bit of a plonker, eh? And this Mont Blanc group leader, he says, no, you either come my way or the highway. And so off he goes, this crazy Englishman with his champagne and cameras and stuff. And he says, well, I'm going to do it myself storms off in a half up the mountain with a couple of other loons and the group sensible group with their ropes and axes and such make their way steadily up the mountain it's not long before they come across some discarded tripods and cameras and film and then a little way further up the mountain some blankets and chairs and a little way further up the mountain a case of champagne and all sorts of extra and extraneous things and then they come across this idiot Englishman up at the top and there he is and all he's got is his warm clothes his sturdy boots, his pickaxe and a rope Christians if you want to take your mountain you're going to have to leave a lot of junk behind oh a lot of junk it's how you lean forward you ever seen speed skating they don't carry a lot do they (laughs) but they lean in 
That's how they stay on edge. Nothing, nothing to stop them. Leaning right in, getting on edge. Come on, ask ourselves, ask myself, how much junk am I carrying? I want to be like Caleb. Though there may be disappointing years in the meantime, though I may be a no-name that nobody ever knows about, though people may say I'm crazy and even pick up a stone to have a go at me. I want to be a Caleb. I want to take my mountain when the time comes. I want to be faithful. I don't want to be somebody who steps back and says, I've done my bit. I want to push on. I want to keep on keeping on. And if that means everything gets left behind except what is necessary to the task of the kingdom of God, then so be it.